Amen. Thank you, guys. Appreciate these guys. They've had a long week with Winter Wonder and everything going on. They're still out here worshiping with us. I appreciate you guys so much. Thank you, Derek. And Ethan over at Cactus and Bradley over in the worship, I mean, over at the venue. I mean, we guys got a great worship team here worshiping all over the place. It's such a privilege to be with you guys. I would like to welcome all of you at Cactus. Welcome to you guys. Uh, welcome to the Holy Righteous Remnant. Those that are over in the venue right now. Those are my people. They're going to be the future Northridge campus. So for you, I love you. I miss you. I'll be over there soon. Uh, excited about what God's doing. If you haven't heard, uh, we are merging with a church up north at 64th Street and Dynamite. Uh, incredible group of people. They love Jesus Christ. They love God. It's a great church, and we get a chance to partner with them and be a part. Uh, if you live up that way, if that's a part of your community, I would encourage you to come check us out. January 12th and 13th is our opening weekend. Uh, really excited about what God's doing. And God's clearly moving in the midst of that. And when God moves, great things happen. So uh, be thinking and praying about that if you live up that way. If you don't, stay here. We'd love for you guys to be here. But if you live up that way, come join us. It'll be a lot of fun uh, for you guys. Finding the joy in Christmas. That's our, our title of our series. How many of you guys have been out and about around town? I don't know what your world has been like, but I haven't experienced a whole lot of joy. I get to drive on the 101 and to work every day. Not a lot of joy fingers going up as I drive by. Uh, sitting in line at the store, a lot of non-joyful. I just wish, I wish there, be, there was some way somebody compiled maybe a, a bunch of thoughts, maybe in the form of a book, that would just help people think more joyfully. Maybe like a how joyful people think. It might make a great stocking stuffer if you need some ideas. Uh, it's also great job security for me, right? You appreciate that. I like it. So excited to be with you guys. Finding the joy in Christmas. Uh, I'm going to illustrate kind of where we're going tonight this way. How many of you guys, not by a show of hands, but just thinking in your head, uh, spend a lot of time around the holidays in other people's homes? I've found myself in many an entryway over the last couple of days, whether it's picking my kids up at holiday parties or going to Christmas parties or just visiting people. And have you ever noticed when you walk into somebody else's home and you take a breath, it smells, doesn't it? Like you smell other people. I'm not saying it smells bad. It doesn't have, a, it doesn't have to be a bad smell, but it just smells. And then you walk into your home and you, nothing. Nothing, I'm getting nothing. Is it possible that yours and mine are the only houses that have no smell at all? I don't think so. Here's, here's what's going on. Febreze did a whole commercial ad on it called Nose Blind, right? You've become nose blind to your own home. Here's what's going on. Scientifically, they've figured out. You become so familiar with something, so accustomed to it, so a part of your life that you... And your brain actually doesn't recognize the scents that are going on because it's just trying to give you a different baseline. They, they think it's because if, if there's danger, if there's a fire or something, that you're more heightened to the smell. But the idea of becoming so familiar, so comfortable, so aware of something that it actually loses impact on your brain and how you function. Here's why I share that with you tonight. What we're going to look at tonight, here's my fear. The message that we're going to hear tonight from the Word of God for some of us has become so common. We've become so accustomed to it. We've heard it so many times that maybe, just maybe, it's lost its impact on our soul. And we begin to look at it, we read it, and we're going to hear this idea of that we would find joy in the story. We'd find joy in the message. And for some of us, we go, man, I've heard this story. I had breakfast with a guy this week 
really good friend of mine said, hey, I'm preaching this Saturday night. You should come. Why, what are you preaching on? I told him what I'm preaching on. He goes, I've heard that before. I said, okay, you're playing right into my hand. Here's the reality is for some of us, what we're going to hear tonight, this gospel message can be some, so common, so accustomed to our way of life that it has no bearing on our soul anymore. And I'm convinced of this. When I was 13 years old, I placed my, my, my life in the hands of Jesus Christ. In that moment that I gave my life over to the Lord, Satan lost the battle for my soul. But he has not stopped fighting every day since to get my eyes off the glory of my Father, to get my guys off of the beauty of his gospel and to convince me that, ah, this is not that big of a deal. He, he can't win my soul anymore, but he can certainly change the way that I live this life, the way that I impact with the world around me and the way that joy comes out of my heart. And so my prayer has been for me, it will continue to be for you guys, that as we listen to the words tonight, maybe they're familiar for most of us, but we would hear them with a new light, with a newfound fervor that might stir in our souls a little bit differently and that God would do what only God can do and that is restore to us the joy of our salvation. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into our text tonight. Would you join me as we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. God, I thank you for the beautiful gift that this book is. God, I pray that we would handle it well. I pray that we would read from it well. I pray that your words would speak to our hearts more than anything else. God, that your Holy Spirit would do what only your Holy Spirit can do, and that is penetrate our hearts. God, for some of us in here, like myself, we need our joy restored. God, I pray that you would do that. That maybe with a fresh set of eyes, with a newfound perspective, we would read your gospel message tonight and we'd be moved in our hearts and our souls to respond with great joy. So God, do what only you can do and we'll give you all the glory for it. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to be in uh, maybe one of the most famous passages in the entire gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 8 through 20, which may not mean anything to most of you unless you're a Peanuts Charlie Brown Christmas fan, okay? It was made famous by a little boy named Linus that would come out and he would read these very words in the play that they were enacting at their school. So let me pick it up here. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 says this, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, let's just pause right there. Shepherds. The shepherds are about to hear the greatest news this world has ever heard, and God chooses to reveal it first to a bunch of shepherds. Ever thought about why shepherds? Who were shepherds? Shepherds were, were blue-collar, hard-working, forgotten outcasts of society. They kind of were out in the field. Sometimes they weren't even allowed in the temple. Like, they were just the forgotten group of men. Hey, go do your thing out in the field. If we need a sheep, we'll call you, but just stay out there. And God says, that's who I'm going to reveal the reality of me coming to earth to first. Any of you guys remember Precious Moments Bibles? Any of you grow up in the church? They forever ruined shepherds for me because I'd always showed this little puppy-eyed little kid with a little tiny lamb and a stick. And I thought, that's what, I got to imagine these shepherds are up there going, are you kidding me? You know what shepherds were? Big burly dudes. An animal would come out of the woods to eat helpless lambs. You know what they would do? They would grab a stick and a couple of rocks and they would go fight off a bear or a lion. These were not cowardly men. These were not sheepish guys. These were humble, hardworking, blue-collar guys that God says, I'm going to reveal my truth to them first. Why? God's in the habit. He's in the business of taking humble people and using them to change his world. 
He's in the business of doing that. I mean, look at King David, right? He was a forgotten brother. All the other brothers come and then they go, is there anybody else? Well, there's David, but you can't possibly. Yeah, bring him. He's the one. How about the Apostle Paul? Super Jew, Hebrew of Hebrews, yes. Not the best communicator. He killed a guy. He was so boring, okay? He was preaching a sermon. A kid fell asleep and fell and died. Like, not the best communicator. And God goes, you, I'm gonna use you to change the world. God's in the habit of taking humble people and changing the world through them. Why? Because God gets the glory, not the individual. And so God chooses to reveal to a bunch of shepherds. Here they are. They're out in the field. What does he reveal to them? Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, imagine that, with great fear. You guys been camping before? Somebody pulls out their phone to take a picture with their flash late at night, and the whole sky lights up? Can you imagine your shepherds? You're out in the field. You're talking trash to your buddies about whose sheep are better. I don't know what they're doing, okay? They're just out there. They're doing it. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears, and it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. You talk about freaked out. These big, burly guys are just going, oh, what's going on? They're terrified, and I love what God does first through his angel. He says this in verse 10. The angel said to them, fear not. Hey, calm down. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And here we go. The angel shows up. Whoa, 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 whoa. Calm down. Put the sticks down. Don't get those stones out of your hand. I bring you good news of great joy. It's the Greek, that word Greek in the Greek, that great is mega. Okay? I bring you good news of mega joy. This is going to be incredible. You know what you do with news of mega joy? You tell other people about it. Here, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to piggyback off of Jamie's definition last week. You remember his definition last week? This is Super Bowl winning joy. This is I just won the lottery joy. This is whatever happened in your life in the last six months that it happened to you. And you went, you pull your phone out and you're just trying to think, okay, who do I, who do I want to call first? Hey, I gotta, yeah. That kind of joy. Mega news joy meant to be shared. Every time we've, I've, I've had a, a few children, uh, every time we're in the delivery room, my wife laboring, finally we deliver the, the baby and, and there he or she is and, we, and the doctors get them all cleaned up and they put her on my, my wife and we're, we're with our baby for the first few moments and I just look at her and I go, can I go? Can I go now? Because my whole family and all my friends are out in the waiting room and the baby is here. And all I want, I want to celebrate with my wife. Babe, I'm here for you. This is great, but I got to tell somebody. Finally, she gives me the nod. You can go, man, I come flying out. Kick open those doors. He's here. She's here. That's what you do with news of mega joy. You share it with other people. You can't help but tell other people. And so this angel shows up and goes, guys, I have good news. This is mega joy news. Don't be afraid. So what is this mega joy news? What is this incredible message these angels have for the shepherds? We get it right here in our next verse. Verse 11 says this, For unto you is born this day in the city of David three things, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What's this good news of mega joy? It's three things. You've been given a Savior. It's Christ the Lord. Let's unpack each of those a little bit. This first idea of Savior Bunch of Jewish boys out in the field raising sheep. Some of their flock was used to sacrifice. Very familiar with this whole concept of death and what it meant. 
And all of a sudden, the angel comes and goes, no, there's a Savior has come. He's going to save you. He's going to save people. He's not just good news for you. It's for all people. A Savior has come. This is incredible news, guys. This is mega joy news. A Savior has come for you and for me. Here, here's where our theology has gone a little sideways in the last couple of decades. And I don't know when it started. I can just attest to my own life. Happened for me probably in the late 80s to early 90s. This whole self-esteem movement crept into our culture. Are you familiar with it? Self-esteem movement that essentially said, hey, you're good. You're good. You're not that bad. You're pretty good. And we kind of communicated that message to everybody all the time and to where our theology got a little messed up. I'll give you two scenarios that's happened in my life. One of my children brought home a test. 64 out of 100. Okay? Let's talk about this. What happened on this test? Well, I didn't really study. I didn't really prepare. I didn't really give it my best effort. So I got a 64, Dad. Great. Had a conversation. I go to hand the test back to my child. I saw something that filled me with so much rage and frustration that I took the test back. Top of the test, right next to 64 out of 100. Sticker. Super job. Super job, two thoughts went through my head. Either A, you think my child is a 64% student and this is their best effort, which shame on you, teacher. Or two, you're just throwing super jobs out to anybody for anything. Hey, way to go. I want the sticker that's like, meh. <laughs> or try harder next time. Like, that's the sticker I wanted to see for my kid. Speak a little truth into their life. But I can't get too hard on this teacher. I'm a contributor to the problem too. I coached my five-year-old soccer team. We were the orange team. I had four butterfly chasers, two grass eaters, and one soccer player on my team. <laughs> we won a single game all year because the other team didn't have enough players and they played with two guys less than us. And we actually won that game. End of the year comes. We decide, let's have a team pizza party at Peter Piper Pizza. And so there we are, we're eating our pizza, we're getting our tickets, we're buying whatever you buy for tickets at Peter Piper. In comes a mom with a box. Poking out of the top of the box are a bunch of gold soccer balls. She plops this box down on the desk, on the table right there, and a couple of the kids see it, and they go, they're here! And here they come, my orange team. And the mom has the audacity to look at me and go, would you like to give the kids their trophies, coach? Everything in the fiber of my being says, none of these kids deserve a trophy. We won one game. You got a trophy for grass eating in there? Because I got a kid that could win that. But nothing else, nothing of a soccer trophy do we win. There happened to be, by God's sovereign grace, it was a, a black post with a gold soccer ball and a number one on the trophy. So in good conscience, I gave each of them a trophy and said, hey guys, you won one game. So here's your trophy for winning your one game. Right, that's what you get. But don't think for a second that you're a first place team because you are not. I didn't say that to them. That would crush their five-year-old spirits. But I gave them their trophies. But mediocrity is celebrated. We begin to think, okay, and here's where it gets dangerous is it creeps into our theology. And all of a sudden, we begin to look at the world around us and we begin to think this way. Well, guess what? I'm a better husband than my neighbor. I don't drink nearly as much as that guy. I don't swear as much as this coworker. I'll tell you what, I treat my kids a lot better than that dad on my soccer team. And pretty soon we begin to look around and we begin to buy our own line. We begin to think, hey, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. 
Sometimes we can really cross the line and we begin to think, I go to church. I give to the church. I read my Bible. God, you're pretty lucky to have me. And here's the danger, guys. I don't mean to be offensive. I just mean to speak truth to you. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. Because there's no way you can be good enough without Jesus Christ. In fact, God says this, the greatest things you do, those things that you've done in good conscience, your best efforts, God goes, those are filthy rags in comparison to me. Don't let this theology creep into your mind that, hey, I can, kinda, I can, I can be pretty good for God. No. Without Jesus, we're all going to hell. We need a savior. And so the angel shows up and goes, I've got good news of mega joy. A savior has come to save you from your own problem, to redeem you from hell. I'm gonna bring you up. I'm gonna place you in the, in the relationship with the father that you long for. We need a savior. Don't let Satan corrupt your mind and think that you don't because the moment you think, yeah, okay, Kevin, I need a savior. What else you got? No, we need to be saved. Christ came to save us. That is good news of mega joy. That should have an impact on our soul. He keeps going. Savior is born. born. Who is Christ? Insert cheesy church joke here. We all know Jesus' last name is not Christ, right? Christ is the title bestowed upon him. It means the anointed one, the chosen one. Christ, the anointed one is here. The one that Isaiah wrote about in 9.6, the wonderful counselor, almighty God, prince of peace, that guy, he's here. The savior that's come, oh yeah, by the way, he's the chosen one. The one you've been waiting for for thousands of years, he's here. This is good news. This is mega joy news. Oh, not only that, but he's the Lord. God himself has come to do what only God can do. This savior we just told you about, yeah, we need to be saved. We're all messed up. Yeah, you need a savior. Guess what? The anointed one has come. Oh, and, and by the way, it's God himself. God showed up to fix what you and I can't fix on our own. You realize how incredible that is? You see where this message is incredible news of great joy. And yet if we hear it over and over, and some of you guys have grown up in the church, you're like me, you've grown up in the church and you can't even remember a day that you didn't have Jesus and you kind of go, okay, great. I came tonight to hear I need a savior. Christ the Lord, yes. The moment those words no longer have an impact on your soul, Satan has won. This is good news of mega joy. A savior has come to save you from yourself. God himself did what only God could do that should well up in our soul some sort of emotion. Let's keep reading, verse 12. Angel says to them, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying this, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. You get the scene here? They're talking to an angel. I got good news, mega joy news. A savior, Christ the Lord has come. He's right over there, wrapped in a swaddling cloth in a manger. And then all of a sudden, a multitude of angels show up. Here's what I think's going on. Where have angels been for the last thousands of years? They've been in the presence of God. They're in the presence of God, worshiping him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Worshiping God in the presence of God, every now and then glancing down and going, oh, those poor people. 
They don't even realize what they could have experiencing life with Christ, with life with God. They're separated from that because they're in their sinfulness. They've gotten so, so used to it, so accustomed to it, they just kind of look around and go, well, it is what it is. You know, I'm better than my neighbor, so I'm good. And the angels are going, no, you don't realize how bad you have it because they're in the presence of God. And so for thousands of years, I got to imagine some of the angels, this is me talking, not the Bible. Let me walk way over here so I don't get struck down. This is what I think is going on. I think you got the angels for thousands of years going, God, what are you going to, look at this mess. What are you going to do? How, how are you going to fix this? Oh, man, they're, they're screwed. Oh, they did it again. God, what are you going to do? When are you going to fix this? What, how are you going to make this right? And all of a sudden, God stands up and goes, watch this. And whoo, comes to earth. In this passage, you know what I think we got going here? I think we got the angels going, no way! He did it! Oh, did, did you, he did it! God went down. God's going to fix it. It's all going to change. Everything's going to be different now. Absolutely good news of mega joy. And so they show up and they go, ah, glory to God in the highest. He did it. He's going to do it. I mean, it's going to be incredible. And so with incredible joy, the angels show up and they begin worshiping God. You know what happens with mega joy when it's shared? It's infectious. It's contagious. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. You guys have all seen the scenes after usually some team back east wins a Super Bowl or something, and all of a sudden, out they go. And what are they doing? They're, we won! Let's flip over this car! Okay! And they just wreck their own city. Contagious joy. They get swept up in the emotion of everything that's going on. The shepherds just can't believe what's going on. They just heard this incredible news of mega joy. And so what do they do? They run with haste. Verse 15. When the angels went away... From them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And catch this, verse 17. And when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it were wonder, wondered at what the shepherds had told them. Do you see what's going on here? Angels show up. Savior, Christ, the Lord, he's here. He's right over there. Go check it out. Dude, let's go. They take off. And they tell everyone. What do we know about the story? Were there a few people around? There's no room at the inn. Jesus was born in a manger. I got to imagine there's a few people around town that watch these crazy shepherds come flying in, young at the top of their lungs. He's here. The anointed one is here. And they're telling everybody. Why? Because infectious joy, that's what it does. Mega joy, that's what it does. It's meant to be shared. And when you experience it, when you get caught up in it, you can't help but share it. And so these guys tell everybody what's going on. Here's a question I've asked myself. Same question I'll ask you. Have you allowed the joy of the gospel to stir in your soul, to move in your heart? Are you filled with mega joy to the point that you can't help but share the hope of Jesus with a world that needs it? Have you allowed the joy of the gospel to impact you that you can't help but share it? You're so full. Man, guys, you're never going to believe Jesus. And you just tell everybody. Are you full of that joy? I'll be honest with you. I would love to stand up here and say, that's me. Make a joy guy. Too much of life creeps in, sucks the joy right out of me. You have a perfect example the other day. I'm at home. Our internet goes down. 
Oh, you talk about a joy vacuum right there, right? I got six kids that need to do homework and watch Netflix and porn and stuff like that. And they all come to me each at a different time. Dad, do you know the internet's down? Yeah, I'm working on it. Three minutes later, Dad, I'm trying to do my homework. The internet's down. Yeah, I'm working on it. Five, 15 minutes later, here comes the third one. Dad, I need to get online and get my homework done. It's just each one sucking a little bit of joy out of me. Why? Because the troubles of the internet, really? A savior has come to save me from my sins, to put me in a right relationship with the father, to, to promise me eternity forever. And I'm worried about my internet. Yep. Why? Because I've gotten my eyes off of here because I've given Satan too much leeway in my life to allow this to distract me. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what sucks the joy out of life for you, but maybe just maybe God would have you here tonight to hear this. Let's get our eyes off of this just for a little bit even just for a few moments, and remember the fact that we are saved children. I'll use Jamie's words last week. We are redeemed, favored ones of God Most High with the Holy Spirit indwelling us. Man, if that doesn't move your heart, if that doesn't stir in your soul on some level, then Satan has won. He's got you right where he wants you, and he's just going perfect. But man, if we could get this. So what happens next? 19, Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her hearts. Not the shepherds. They don't ponder anything in their hearts. Here's what they do. The shepherds returned. Where'd they go? They went back to work, but they went back different, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They go back to work totally different. New purpose, new hope, new perspective. I'm sure they're telling the sheep, hey, do you a savior's come? It's unbelievable. Anybody that walks by, hey, go check him out. He's still, they're telling everybody. Infectious joy is meant to be done that way. What does it look like for you? Many of you are gonna return to work Monday. Some of you tomorrow. Some of you parents are gonna go back to work in about 10 minutes when you pick your kids up. And the reality of life is gonna come. What are they gonna pick up from you? Are we full of mega joy? We have a joy that's so infectious in our soul and our spirit that it impacts the world around us. Or have we allowed this message of the gospel to become so commonplace, so familiar that it's lost its impact on our soul? And let's never let that be the case. Shepherds return to work glorifying, praising God. Now, I'm not asking you to go to work tomorrow singing the hallelujah chorus. That would be weird. But when life hits you, when circumstances hit you, and whatever it looks like, kids, work, school, do you respond differently? Do they see something different in you? Does the world notice anything different? Do they notice the mega joy that you have in your soul and in your spirit? And I think the greatest thing we could do out of all of this, we could hear the good news of mega joy from our father and we could go, you know what? Tomorrow's gonna look a little different for me. But hear me on this. Here's the danger. Here's the trap that I fall into and I think a lot of us fall into. We hear that and go, okay, tomorrow, I'm gonna be full of joy. And your Starbucks order gets screwed up and somebody cuts you off on the 101 and your boss yells at you and by 9.45, you're just ready to scream and yell at somebody and the joy has just been, because you're trying to do that in your flesh. Here's what my prayer for you has been and will be in just a moment and will continue to be. I'm gonna share with you a passage from Psalm 51. If you have your Bibles, flip over there. It's not on the screen. 
We're going to look at Psalm 51, three verses, verses 10 through 12. Here's what's going on. David's just been caught in the sin. He's been accused of adultery, which he committed. Then he killed Uriah the Hittite, right? He murdered him. The prophet's just confronted him, and he knows he's guilty. And so in the midst of his guilt, he writes these words. We're just going to look at three verses, Psalm 51, 10 through 12. He says this, God, would you create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me? That's where he starts. God, give me a clean heart. God, I realize my heart is corrupt. And for some of you, that's where we need to start. Some of you don't know anything about Jesus Christ. This whole gospel thing is new to you. And you're sitting there, you're still puzzling, part angry, part offended at the fact that I said without Jesus, you're going to hell. But that's just the truth. The first step for you is to find yourself at a place where you'd go, God, I can't fix this on my own. I've tried and I just can't do it. Would you create in me a clean heart? Would you do what only you can do? Would you renew a right spirit in me? And he says this, cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. We can get into the theology of that if you want, but here's the words I want us to look at. And maybe this becomes your prayer this week. It will be mine. In verse 12, he says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. God, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? What would it look like if that became our prayer every day? Every day we woke up, we just said, God, would you remind me of what it means to be your kid? Would you restore in me the joy of your salvation? You know the difference between that And giving you a checklist of five ways to be joyful tomorrow is those five ways of being joyful are you doing it in your flesh. It only gets you so far. But you begin to find yourself falling at the feet of the cross and saying, God, I need you to do what only you can do. Would you restore in me the joy of your salvation? Would you remind me what it means to be your kid? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit grabs a hold of your heart and does what only the Holy Spirit can do. Now we're talking about heart change. We're talking about life change. We're talking about an impact that goes far beyond a checklist of things to do. Do you have the courage to pray that prayer? Here's one thing we know about God. You sincerely pray a prayer, sometimes he'll answer it. So are you ready to have the joy of your salvation restored if you know Jesus Christ? If you know him to be true? If you're a redeemed child of God, are you full of mega joy? Is it having any impact on your soul? Some of you guys, you know, you're gonna be around family, you're gonna be around coworkers, you're gonna be around a lot of people these next three weeks. What are you going to be infecting other people with? And what would it look like to be so full of joy that people just stood back in awe and said, man, I want what they have. They have a hope, they have a peace, they have a joy that surpasses understanding. And then when they ask you, they have the courage to put a name to it. Jesus Christ, the Lord. What might that look like? Let me pray for us. Father, you know my heart. You know that I stand up here guilty and convicted by the fact that there's been far too many days that have gone by that I have not been full of joy. And God, I need to be reminded of the joy of my own salvation, and so that will continue to be my prayer. God, I pray that you would remind me of what it means to be your kid, that you would, you would speak truth into my ear, that your Holy Spirit would do what only he can do, and, and that you would restore to me the joy of my salvation. God, I pray the same for so many men and women in this room cactus in the venue, those watching online. God, I pray that your spirit would speak and move. God, for those in here that need to know and understand what it means to to have a savior come 
and give it all for them. God, I pray you give them the courage to speak to somebody tonight. But for those of us that know it, God, do not let Satan have one more day of victory in our souls where your gospel has no impact on us. I pray you would unleash us into this world as we go out tonight and tomorrow. Let us be full of mega joy, joy that would impact other people, not for our glory, but for yours. And God, we'll thank you in advance for what you're gonna do. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the reminder. Thank you for all that it means to each and every one of us in this room. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.